Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you stars of light. For he commanded and they were created. And he also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all the depths. Fire and hail, snow and clouds, mountains and hills, fruitful trees and cedars, creeping things and flying fowl. Both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven and he has exalted the praise of all his saints, a people fully devoted to him. Praise the Lord. Come on. <clears throat> fully devoted. You know, fully devoted, the definition of that means to be fully committed, fully loyal to something or someone, that you're devoutly uh, uh, connected to that thing. And we see this kind of devotion in marriage, or we should see it in marriage. We see this kind of devotion uh, when people are super fans of a sports team. They'll paint their bellies, paint their faces, don't care what anyone else thinks, scream through the whole game, show up when it's raining, when it's sleeting, when it's snowing. They are fully devoted. And you know, I was thinking about a word that my dad said when I was in my wedding and he was ministering the wedding and, and he looked at me and he said, now everything you own belongs to her. And I was thinking, everything, dad? <laughs> everything, your time, your privacy, your space, your car, your, uh, your money, your bank account, your toys, your clothes, everything now belongs to each other. You share it together. It's this mutual devotion, this mutual uh, uh, commitment to each other to share what you have together. You know, the thing I love about God is that He's not waiting for us to be devoted to Him. He's already fully devoted to us. Before we could even partially be devoted to Him, He is fully devoted to you and to me. And this morning, you need to understand that the foundation of this series is not what you could do for God to get his attention, but what you need to believe God has already done for you before you could get his attention. You already had his attention. God looked at you. He loved you. He knew you before you were even born. He stamped his approval on you. Even in your mother's womb, God was for you. He is for you. Romans 8, verse 31. And Romans 8, I think, is one of the best chapters in the Bible. It's such a powerful chapter. In fact, Romans 1 through 7 is kind of a mountain leading up to Romans 8. Romans 1 through 7, Paul is kind of painting the tension of why we need a Savior and how we're all sinners and, and we're all slaves to sin, but there's a Savior who came to set us free from that slavery to sin and give us freedom. And so Romans 8 is like the peak of the mountain. And when we get up there, here's what he says. He says, what then should we say about all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't say, who could be against us? He said, if God is for us, who could? we know who could be against us, right? Maybe it's your in-laws that are against you. Maybe it's your kids that are against you. Maybe it's your parents that are against you. Maybe it's your boss that's against you. Maybe the economy is against you. Maybe, maybe the odds are stacked against you. You're born in the wrong family, born in the wrong neighborhood. Don't feel like you could 
climb up that ladder to get those dreams accomplished. But the good news is whatever's against you doesn't stand a chance against the God who's for you. When you know that God is for you, nothing and no one can truly stand a chance against God being for you. Growing up around this time of year, I remember going to play football with buddies in the neighborhood and we would find a field. We would go play anywhere we could play, even if it was in the street. I know that was dangerous, but we would go and play football and we would get in these huddles. And every now and then a dad would show up. One of the boys' dads or our dad would show up. And when a dad showed up, it was unfair. Because the dads were always better than the little boys. You know, the dad would come in and he would be the, the quarterback for the team. And when dad was in the huddle, we had an unfair advantage. And church, children of God, when dad's in the huddle, you have an unfair advantage against the devil. You have an unfair advantage against the enemy that's trying to come against you. Debt doesn't stand a chance. Heartache, failure, mistakes. I wonder what's standing in the way of you believing that God is for you. Could it be that maybe you feel like you failed God? Maybe you feel like God forgot about you. You've seen delay after delay after delay. And I want to tell you today, a delay is not a denial. Just because you haven't seen the miracle happen yet doesn't mean that God's denied that miracle from happening. Keep on trusting. Keep on believing. Keep on holding on to that dream that God's placed in your heart. God is for you. Those four powerful, wonderful words, God is for us. Let's say it together. God is for us. Now, let's say it by emphasizing one word at a time, starting with the first word. God is for us. God is for us. God is for us. God is for us. Come on, somebody. There's some English lessons right there. When you think about that, God, not your boss, not your parents, even though those are all good people and maybe you're counting on them to feel secure in your life, today you need to push them out of that place and realize God is enough for me to feel secure. God is enough for me to feel confident in who I am. Even if the world rejects me, God has accepted me. God is for me. He's not for your sin, but he is for you. He's for you becoming who he called you to be. He is fully devoted to you stepping into your destiny. God. And then the word is, that second word is, not will be once we get our act together, not was when we were obeying him, but is currently today before you woke up, before you came to church, before you opened your Bible, God is for you. And the word for, the opposite of against, that he's for us. He's for us. He wants us to succeed. God's cheering for us at every game. He's in the bleachers. He's shouting our name. If there was a tree in heaven, he would carve your name in the bark. If he drove a car, he put your name on the sticker. Honorable mention, son or daughter. God loves you. He loves you. You know, I think about in this class I started taking a few years ago. I went to go back to school to get my master's and and I'm still working on it. Some people ask me, have you finished it? I said, well, there's some things that have happened in the last few years. Had some babies and, and get to pastor this amazing church. And so it's kind of slowed down this, this course. But the first class I stepped into was a class with Dr. Mark Rutland. Now, I didn't really know him that well. We had shook hands before he had come and preached at our church when my mom was serving as the pastor. And so he had a relationship with my mother and a relationship with my father and other people in this church uh, that were closer to his age, but he didn't have a relationship with me. And so I went to the class and, and I was so excited. You know, I was so excited to be back in school. And every time there was a chance to ask a question, I would raise my hand. 
And then when there's a chance to interact with the teacher, when there was bathroom breaks, I would go up and talk to him. And by the end of the first day of class, in front of everybody, he said, Paul, I want you to come to dinner with me this week. So afterwards, after class, I had all these older pastors coming up to me because I was one of the youngest guys in class. And they said, you must be like being mentored by him. You must be really tight with Dr. Rutland. I mean, you're so comfortable in his presence. It seems like you guys are really close. You guys must be friends for a long time. I was like, no, <laughs> we're not. I just connected with him today. And they said, wow, you must have a lot of favor. I said, no, I think I just believe that he kind of likes me. I think I just believe that he kind of is for me, that he wants me to succeed, that he's not just putting up with me, that he's not just putting up with our class, wanting this thing to be over, but he actually cares about his students. And I think because I believed that, it caused me to act differently in his presence. And see, here's the truth. What you believe about how God feels towards you will directly affect how you live the rest of your life. I'm going to put that on the screen. Look at this. What you believe about God's feelings towards you will have a direct effect on how you live the rest of your life. If you believe that God doesn't like you, it's going to be hard for you to really feel excited to come to church. If you believe that God's out to get you, it's going to be hard for you to really want to read your Bible or pray without doing it from this sense of, he hates me. I got to catch up because he's mad at me. But I want to tell you today, God is not your problem. God is not mad at you. He's not against you. God is for you. Let it sink down deep. He's for you. He likes you. He's not just putting up with you. He cares about you. Matthew chapter 10 says that he knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. And the hairs that fall off our head. He knows you. He cares about you. He thinks about the thoughts that you think about. God doesn't even sleep. He watches us even while we're sleeping. He charges his angels round about us. See, when you start realizing that God is for you, it changes the way you live. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you laugh. You feel a little bit more relaxed in his presence. Instead of so uptight like he's ready to hit you with a lightning bolt if you think one bad thought or, 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 or uh, forget the lyrics on the screen. You know, there's all these moments sometimes that I think we're living under a pressure that's not what God wants us to live like. When God died, sent his son to die on the cross, John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world. Everybody say so loved so loved that's extreme that's illogical that's unreal he doesn't just partially devote himself to you he fully devoted his love to you he so loved you that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life he is so fully devoted to you see christianity is not about man coming to god it's about god coming to man it's not about what man could do to achieve god's grace it's about man believing that God has already given us his grace before we could do anything. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for you and for me. He loves you, even in your mess, through the good, the bad, and the ugly. He is still for you. He hasn't given up on you. When you gave up on God, God didn't give up on you. When you forgot about God, God didn't forget about you. When you stopped following God, God didn't stop pursuing you. He's waiting for you to turn around like the father of the prodigal son with open arms just saying, come back home. He loves you. I had a revelation of this again, and I think every year we need to be reminded of God is for me. God is for me. 
But I remember just a month ago, I was in a conference. We had been blessed to get to go to the Hillsong Conference here in, in the United States. It was in New Jersey. And Hillsong is impacting the world with their music and their, and their uh, worship songs. And we were standing there, and I was standing in the back of this huge arena with 10,000 people and just amazed at what God could do through a local church. Ordinary people just trusting that God could use them in extraordinary ways. And there was NFL players at the conference. There were NBA players. There were pop artists. They were being influenced. Aren't you glad to know that the church is influencing the world instead of the world influencing the church? And the Word of God was being preached. And I just was crying because I was thinking, God... I think what you've done through victory in the last 34 years is a, an amazing foundation for what you want to do in the next 30 years. That you want to use a church to touch Tulsa and Oklahoma and the United States of America and the nations of the earth for his goodness. And so I was crying because I was just dreaming about what God could do through the church. And I was having these private conversations with God just saying, God, I could really use just some more boldness as I'm as I'm trusting in you as, as the pastor of victory, just more. And I told Ashley this. She was the only one that knew, and then God. And later that night, I remembered I had Pastor Brian Houston's email. He's the pastor of Hillsong. And so, you know, I thought, I'm going to send him an email. He probably won't get it. Maybe one of his secretaries will get it and then respond a month from now, you know, to it. So I sent this email. I said, Pastor Brian, thank you for your faithfulness to do what you're doing, and thanks for pushing through. I know it's probably not easy. You get a lot of criticism. But thank you for just... Uh, using God, God's plan on your life to touch the world and, and with, local, with the local church. And I forget what I said. It really wasn't like an awesome thing. I just was saying, thank you. Y'all listen to me like, this sounds weird. <laughs> but I, I was just saying, thank you. Well, within five minutes, I got a response back. He said, hey, Paul, hope you're enjoying yourself at the conference. So glad your team is here. Hopefully, my team has taken care of you and you're in good seats. Well, I took that picture from where we were sitting. So we were sitting in the very back. <laughs> AJ happened to be there with us, a couple people from staff, and AJ was like, you better tell him that we're sitting in the back and we need some front row seats. And I was like, AJ, that's not why I emailed him. I'm not trying to, and he goes, just tell him. So I was like, well, we're having a great time. We're just honored to be here. We're sitting towards the back, but it's awesome. No worries. And next thing I knew, that, that next morning at the conference, someone met us at the front of the arena and they said, are you Paul Doherty? Is your team victory? We've got VIP uh, tickets for you, VIP seating for you. And we got ushered in by this pastor who led us and sat us right behind Brian Houston and the, and the family there. And so we're sitting about 15 seats away from him. And I'm just going, wow, this is awesome. This is amazing. God, thank you. And I hadn't gotten yet to, to thank Pastor Brian personally. So I was kind of sitting far away. And the worship had just ended. And we were getting ready to pick our stuff up and walk out of the arena, and all of a sudden, I heard my name on the microphone. Hey. He said, Paul Doherty and Ashley Doherty, come to the stage. I'm really bad at doing an Aussie accent. I know, it sounds like Jersey and Aussie together. Paul Doherty and Ashley Doherty, come to the stage. And so we walked down to the stage and just kind of trembling like we're in trouble. We're going to the principal's office. And he says, God's had you on his mind. God's had you on his heart. And God reminded me to tell you today, boldness, Paul. Brian, it's not like he had been listening to my prayers. I didn't tell him that. Only God could think of that. 
And I don't tell you this story to brag on me. I tell you this story to brag on God, that God knows your name. He knows your address. He knows the prayers you've been praying, the thoughts you've been thinking, the tears you've been crying. God cares about you. If you're in the very back of the room, he sees you. He loves you. He likes you. He wants you to come closer to him. And I started crying, and then Pastor Brian started telling the story of my mom and dad. He said, Pastor Billy Joe and Sharon Doherty built this great ministry, and they impacted me and my wife Bobby, and, and Hillsong has been impacted by victory. And then he's, and I'm crying. He says, my father passed away, and now Paul stepped into this role, and now I want everyone here to stretch your hands out. And we're going to pray over Paul and Ashley. We're going to pray over victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because God has the best days still in front of them to do great things. And I'm just crying and, and going, God, you're for me. If you've ever questioned if God is for you, I hope this story, because I felt like God said something to me. He said, Paul, I wish I could show everyone what I showed you that day, that I know you and I know your name. And I know your prayers, and I'm for you. David in the Bible had a relationship with God. My mom reminded me of this this morning. David had this understanding, God likes me. He's not just putting up with me. He's my father, God. God is greater than any dad you've had here on earth, whether you had a bad dad, a good dad, an abusive dad, an absent dad. God supersedes any type of father figure you've had on this earth. He's the greatest dad in the world, and he loves you, and you're never too old to be called his baby son, his baby girl. I hope when I'm 90 years old that I still see myself as God's baby boy. I hope I never get too mature to think that I'm somehow no longer his kid. I am God's kid. I felt unworthy when I was going up to the seats. And AJ goes, don't feel unworthy. You're a king kid. You're a king's kid. I'm a king's kid. You're a king's kid. God has his eye on you. His eye just on the sparrow is on you. You know, my son Liam is starting to have these moments where he just gets so excited when something happens, something new happens, or he sees something, he goes, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Almost annoying, just over and over. Oh, wow, oh, wow. And at first I was like, come on, Liam, let's stop saying that. <laughs> but I wonder if we've lost our oh, wow factor about how much God loves us. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, God. You're for me. You remember me. You know my name. Oh, wow. I wonder if we've come into his presence with a sense of unworthiness or a sense of entitlement. And we've been missing that gratitude to just say, wow, God, you're for me. You're for me. Three things that happen when we believe God is for us because what you believe about God's feelings directly affects your behavior. Here's what happens. Number one, when you start believing God is for you, fear is driven out with hope that comes in. Fear is driven out with hope. Because God is for me, I can face today and tomorrow with hope. God is for me. I don't have to be afraid. Romans 8 verse 31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, I don't have to be afraid about provision. God's going to take care of me. I don't have to be afraid about protection. God's watching over me. God's for me. Who could be against me? 
It's, it's, it's an unfair advantage against the devil. Because God is for me, I don't have to be afraid. Some of us in this room have our PhDs in anxiety. We have gotten a, a, a master's degree in worry. We worry about everything. We worry about the IRS and the SAT and the FBI and the CIA and the KGB. We worry about education and recreation and health and family. We worry that someday someone's going to tell us that lettuce was fattening after all. We worry about all kinds of things. We're constantly worrying. The difference between a warrior and a warrior is that they've shifted their worship towards God instead of the situation or the circumstance or the what if fears that they think about. What if it doesn't work out? What if I'm not provided for? What if I don't get the job? What if they fire me? What if I don't graduate? What if when I graduate, there's no more jobs? What if my kids don't get to go to school? What if my kids don't make it? What if they don't get hired? What if we don't make it? All of the what if negatives in the world don't stand a chance when you believe that God is for you. He's for you. He's looking out for you. Fear has to bow. God is for you. I'm so glad that God you know, didn't just send his son to die on the cross for our sins, but leave the fear up there and say, humanity, you're going to have to deal with the fear. I took care of the sins, but I'm leaving worry, fear, and anxiety for you guys to figure out on your own. No, he died for anxiety. He died for stress. He died for fear. He died for worry. All of those things that are trying to control you, Jesus paid the price for. And when you start to believe God is for me, Jesus loves me. He likes me. He's not just putting up with me. He loves me. He's going to watch over me. Now, when my kids are sleeping and I get home from church or I get home from a date night, I can't wait. Me and my wife, we can't wait to sneak into their bedrooms and just look at them. Just look at little Liam and Benai and I'll touch their little fingers and hold their little toes and kiss them on the cheeks. I love those little boys. I just, I so love them. Do you know someone who has the case of so loves? They just so love their kids. They're just posting pictures about them all the time. Like, gosh, this parent just so loves their kids. I think I got a case of the so loves. I think God has a case of the so loves for you and for me. He's watching over you. He's watching out for you. He cares for you. He loves you. So number one, it drives out fear. Number two, it gives us boldness to come into his presence. It gives you boldness. Because God is for me, I can come boldly into his presence. God doesn't just want a check mark on your church attendance this week. He wants intimacy. He wants friendship. Did you know the Bible says we are friends of God through what Christ did? We don't just have to be servants of God. We can be friends of God children of God, joint heirs with Christ, sons and daughters of the king. Something changes when you realize you're the king's kid. We're the king's kids. I remember when I was in high school and 18 years old, I was getting ready to graduate. I didn't know what was going to happen after that year. I didn't have a scholarship. I didn't have a job offer. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was kind of worried about it. And my friends, they were talking about, you know, some of them had scholarship money already. They were going to ORU. Some were headed to OSU and OU, and they were talking about their plans. I had some friends that already had a career lined up, stepping right into their job, right out of high school. And I was happy for them, but I was on the inside. I was really worried about my life. I was thinking, God, I don't have anything lined up. 
and that day I was just overwhelmed um, in school. And my dad officed in our school. He was on the third floor. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go up to dad's office. Maybe he'll have some time for me. And so I went up there and walked by his secretary, Miss Florence. I said, is, is dad in? She said, yeah, he might be in a meeting. So just knock on the door. So I knocked on the door and this businessman opened the door with a tie on. I wasn't dressed up that nice. But I said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You guys are in an important meeting. I'm just thinking in my mind, gosh, I'm so foolish. I shouldn't have come up here. Of course he's working, he's busy. And so I start walking down the hallway and all of a sudden I feel this tap on my shoulder and I turn around and it's my dad. And he says, Polly. He's the only one that can call me Polly. Don't call me Polly. <laughs> he says, Polly. What can I do for you? I said, Dad, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. You're so busy. You're meeting with so many important people. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's okay. We can talk later. And he goes, Paul, I'm never too busy for my kids. I didn't have a rehearsed meeting or speech to share with him. And so in that moment, I didn't want to waste any more time. So I just hugged him, you know, just grabbed him and hugged him. And then he hugged me back. And when he hugged me back, it was like, the worries about tomorrow started to just fade away. Everything's gonna be okay. I don't know where I'm going to school. I don't know what's gonna happen, but it's gonna be okay. I don't know what my future holds, but I know my dad's holding me right now. It's all gonna work out. My dad wasn't a perfect dad. He was a good dad. But the truth is, no matter what your dad was like here on earth, we have an incredible perfect father in heaven whose office is always open to you and to me. He's never too busy to meet with his kids. He's never too important to not make time for his son or his daughter. And today, he invites you to come boldly into his office. I wonder when the last time it was that you went to dad's office. That you just went up there to spend some time with him. Just to remind yourself he's for me. He's for me. Because I think he wants you to know that today. I know he wants you to know that today. Hebrews chapter 4 says, let us come boldly into the throne room of grace to receive mercy in our time of need. Let us come with boldness. God is for me. He's for me. He's for me one step at a time. He's for you. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. He speaks that native language. The devil is the father of lies. And he's saying, God doesn't like you. He doesn't care for you. He forgot about you. He doesn't have any more blessings stored up for you. Your miracle's not going to happen. Stop listening to the lies of the devil. God is for you. He loves you. He's with you. Let it bring boldness inside you. There's a story about this young boy who was at his grandmother's house, and he had a slingshot, and he kept aiming to try and hit these cans that were right by this pond, and so he was pulling back the slingshot and he let rocks go and he kept missing the cans and finally as he let one go it went flying through the air and he didn't even notice it hit a duck right in the head and killed the duck his sister saw the whole thing so he went over to his sister and he said please don't tell grandma because it was grandma's duck <laughs> please don't tell grandma and his sister said okay I won't tell her as long as you do my chores I won't tell her so later that night, they were sitting at grandma's table and grandma said, okay, it's time to wash the dishes. Susie, you come and wash the dishes. And the grandpa said, I'm going to go out. Anybody want to come hunting with me? And the little boy was excited. I want to go hunting. And Susie said, I think uh, 
we'll just call him Luke. I think Luke really wants to wash the dishes. And then she whispered to him, remember the duck. Luke said, I'll wash the dishes. Night after night, Luke would wash the dishes. He would clean those dishes and watch as Susie got to go and hang out with grandpa and grandma and do fun things. Finally, after a month of this going on, Luke couldn't handle it anymore. And he's just in front of grandma and says, Grandma, I'm sorry, I killed your duck. And she says, Luke, I knew all along you killed the duck. I saw it from the window when it happened. She said, I've just been waiting to see how long you're going to let Susie make a slave out of you this whole time. She said, I forgave you when it first happened. And I think about how many of us have allowed the accuser of the brethren, the devil, to turn us into a slave, to feel like we owe God this painful, miserable life. And God's saying, wait, I'm for you. I forgave you on the cross. I've empowered you to reign in this life, not to just barely screech by and survive. God's not against you. He's not the author of bad, of death. In fact, he says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. And so the last one is this, number three, when we believe God is for us, it leads us to be fully devoted to him. Because God is for me, I want to live for him. Because God is fully devoted to me, I want to live fully devoted to him. Romans chapter 8 verse 34 says this, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or sword. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I'm fully convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He loves you. He's for you. He's looking out for you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He knows your name. You're not just a face in the crowd. You are his son, his daughter from the top of this room to the bottom of this room. He cares about you. I think sometimes we minimalize this. We sweep it under the rug. His love's not that big of a deal. He's not that loving. He's really actually mad at all the Christians and mad at all the non-Christians, and he wants to take his anger out on us. I think sometimes we really miss it. I'm sorry. I just have to say it. I think sometimes we miss it because if we don't get this foundational truth, Christianity is about God dying for the unjust, those who didn't deserve it. That's you and me. In case you didn't realize it, we didn't deserve it. We deserved hell, but God showed up and gave us heaven, mercy, grace, favor. Why? Because he's for us. Even in your sin, he's not for your sin. He's not for you walking in that sinful life. He is for you fulfilling the God-given destiny that he placed on your life. Before your parents could give you a generational curse, he put his generational blessing inside you. He stamped it in your soul. He says, you're mine. And I know God's in heaven. And he's watching those thoughts and those words try to crowd out this message in your heart right now. Let it get single focused. He's for me. He's for me. 
He's for me. It's all going to work out. He's working all things together for good. When Joseph had gone through all the trials and Joseph had been forgotten and he had been thrown into the pit, left for dead, falsely accused of taking advantage of his master's wife and all of those things, finally God puts him into his destiny. And in Genesis 50, verse 19 through 20, Joseph looks at his brothers and he says, don't be afraid. I know you think I'm going to kill you because you tried to kill me, but you need to know what you meant for harm. God has turned around for good. God was fully devoted to me in the prison, in the pit. When you sold me as a slave, God didn't forsake me. He was with me. He was beside me. It might have been a delay, but it wasn't a denial. He placed me into this position to care for this country. Joseph was fully persuaded that God was fully devoted to him. And last scripture I want to read to you on this third one because it leads us to be fully devoted to God. Luke 7, verse 36, this woman who was a notorious sinner, she found out Jesus was in the house of this Pharisee named Simon. And the Pharisees were known for being the religious, self-righteous, judgmental people. They would oftentimes push sinners away from God. They only allowed those who were outwardly clean to come into the temple. But Jesus said, it's not about outward cleanliness. It's about an inward, deep hunger and desire to realize you are nothing without God. Your self-righteous deeds and acts can't measure up to what God can only do in your heart and your life. And so Jesus was sitting with all these Pharisees in the room and this woman who's a notorious sinner and she sinned a very specific type of sin in the city. In fact, she was still in that type of sin as she was coming to the house. She, she wanted to be free and she knew if Jesus is in the house, then maybe there's one person in the house that's for me. They might all be against me. I know life has stacked the odds against me. Sin is against me. The economy is against me. My family's against me. But God is for me. And as she thought about Jesus being for her, she came into the house with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume, and she poured it on the feet of Jesus in front of all the Pharisees. She didn't care what anyone else thought. She began to weep and just wash his feet. Somehow she knew that no sin that she loved, no sin that she would be committed to could ever compare to the Savior in this moment that she was pouring out her heart to. She was being set free. It was the washing of Jesus. The Word became flesh, and all of a sudden, the Word was setting her free from a lifestyle of sin. And because she trusted that He was fully devoted to her, she wanted to be fully devoted to Him. And the Pharisee said, what are you doing? Why, why, Jesus, why are you letting her wash your feet? And in that moment, she said, he said, this is, this is an act of worship. You don't understand what she's doing here. This is going to be talked about centuries from now and church i want to tell you today there is always space at the altar with jesus he's not mad at you he's not against you he's for you today no matter what you're facing no matter what you're walking through no matter what addiction you're trying to overcome no matter what lifestyle you're in come to the god who is for you today come to his altar let him be your savior let him set you free from your sin let him heal your sickness and your disease how many of you believe today that god wants to heal you god wants to restore you he wants to redeem you i want you to stand on your feet all over this room i'm finished we're just going to worship god for a few minutes.